Welcome to Subject to Change with Stephen Lentz. I interview business owners and execs and take a look at who they are, what they do, and where they come from. There's no script. We talk about our businesses, passions, and anything else we want to. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Subject to Change. I'm Stephen Lentz, and today I'm talking with James I. Bond, author and one of America's leading behavioral management specialists. How are you doing, James? Hi, Stephen. I'm so, doing well so far. Thanks well, for thanks. I say thanks for having me, but it's really my parents that had me. You're borrowing me, so thanks. You just straight went down the psychological hole there. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. Um, and so everyone that is listening, obviously you can't see it, but James has a big poster behind him that says brain glue. And I'm going to ask because I just brought it up, but what is brain glue? So brain glue it makes your ideas sticky. So they stick to your prospect's brain like glue, making it easier to get, get people to say yes to your products and ideas. And it's really cool because there it's, it's um, we don't realize that we're patterns stick in our brain. Mm-hmm. And so if you say something like I, I'm old enough to remember, they said Jack and Joe went up the hill to fetch a pail of water, you know, mm-hmm. and I remember it when I was like, I'm really old. So uh, over 60 years ago, I remember that. I think it was probably the last time I ever heard it. And yet I still remember it like it was yesterday. In fact, I could be on my deathbed and somebody said, Jack and Joe went and I go up the hill to fetch a pillow. I mean, how can I remember it, even though I, I heard it such a long time ago? And it's because it sticks to the brain. There's just a, a simple techniques. I'll walk you through some of that, but simple techniques that make things sticky. Hmm. You know? Is that like Kurt is... Cobain? Remember him? Kurt Cobain? Oh, yeah. Well, Smells like teen spirit. What does teen spirit smell like? I mean, oh, is that like a locker room and all that stuff? No, but it's awesome because he understood there are certain things in some of the songs he did where mm-hmm. he put a, a word that you go like, smells like teen spirit, and it makes it iconic. It sticks in the brain. Sure. No, it makes total sense. Is it kind of, does it borrow off the principles of like NLP or is brain glue and the sticky factor completely different? Uh, completely different. I mean, everything is NLP. I mean, we want to understand, you know, neurolinguistic programming, how the brain works and everything else, but it's a tool totally separate. Okay. What it does is, um, so let, let me tell you how I found it. Okay. And you, you'll see how it all fits together. Yeah, please do. So um, I, uh, like over about 35, 40 years ago, I ran an advertising agency in Montreal. I'm originally from Montreal. And after about 35 years, uh, I mean, about, I guess, yeah, 35, my daughter's L.A. She has the initials L.A., so I remember when I moved to Los Angeles. Uh, but about 35 years ago, I moved to Southern California, and then eventually I started um, a behavioral management firm. Turned out to be one of California's leading behavioral management firms, uh, working with, you know, famous people and companies and all that stuff. But because I started in advertising, I have a technical background. And so I started an advertising, uh, an advertising agency, and I was very good logically. I learned that, you know, I, you know, we learn in school, how you could persuade someone, you give them logic. Well, it turns out that's actually not very good because mm-hmm. they found that over 90% of uh, decisions are made when you trigger the emotional side of the brain. You can still have logic in it, but I mean, an emotion could be something simple like they like you or trust you, right. but it could, but it, often it's even deeper than that. And so I had, because I won major clients, I worked my way up and then won major clients, some of the world's biggest clients, Kraft, Timex, Avon, Abbott Laboratories, Seagram's, the world headquarters for Seagram's is there. And um, then uh, I had an opportunity to do the anti-drug campaign in America. Uh, And we came up with this really fantastic logical reasons why you shouldn't do drugs. And we lost, and we lost for good reason. We lost to this 
uh, this uh, this ad that they this competitor created that had a guy holding an egg and saying this is your brain and then cracking the shell and dropping the egg into a sizzling trying frying pan and said this is your brain on drugs any questions and it was powerful i mean it was mm -hmm. just it was emotional selling and i realized this is emotional selling i have no idea how to do emotional selling you know, I mean, your brain isn't really an egg, you know, it isn't in a sizzling frying pan, but it's just, it's an analogy. It's a metaphor right. and it's really, really powerful. And I realized at first I got terrified. I was like, have I chosen the wrong profession? I mean, I love advertising, but this is, you know, it's frightening because I don't know what this is. But then part of my brain sort of after a few sleepless nights and freaking out over it, I went, you know, this is kind of cool. I wonder if I could learn how to do this because you can't. They don't teach it in school. Emotional selling. They don't. You know, I tried to get books on it. There's. You can't find books on emotional selling. I mean, some little things, but not really major. And so I came up with this idea of having a passion box. I call it a passion box. And I wrote down your brain on drugs on a three by five card, so I'd remember it. And then I put it in a box. And I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start every time I see. Uh, something that's emotional selling or powerful, like a powerful quote that somebody uses. I'm going to write it on a three by five card, or if I can, I'll tear it out of a magazine. My wife hated going to uh, doctor's offices with me. It's like, <laughs> do not tear anything out of the magazine. Said, oh, but look at this ad. It's incredible. Don't, don't, you know, she move away because I, I do not know this guy. But anyway, but I put it in my box, my passion box. And over, and I, I came, I, I decided I was not going to evaluate them. I was just going to, I love it. I love it. I love it. I put it in a box. Okay. That's it. Mm -hmm. So eventually after I moved to California and I've been doing this for 35 years, so I've, I, like I said, I'm old, but, but putting stuff in a box. So it's really, there's a ton of stuff in it. But um, I'm, I, I met John Gray and John Gray was telling me, he's just, he wrote this amazing uh, book about human relationships between men and women. And he called it Men, Women, and Relationships. It was just, it's a fabulous book. It's just incredible. And, uh, but he was struggling because he, he was frustrated because it only sold like about 20, uh, 2,000 copies, which is like almost nothing, okay? Mm -hmm. So he was telling me that he was, uh, he was doing um, 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 uh, a webinar, I mean, a seminar uh, to try to promote the book. And he said something and all the women started laughing like crazy and all the men turned to the women and went like, what's so funny that he just said, you know, <laughs> like they couldn't relate to like, why were you, why are you laughing? <laughs> I didn't get what was so funny. And so they talked about how, yeah, well, women laugh at certain things that men don't and men laugh at certain things that women don't, you know, we, we do have differences. And so somebody says, it's almost like men are from a different planet. And he said, yeah, I guess men are from Mars, you know, and they laughed hysterically. When he got home, he went like, wow, you know, they laughed a lot. That was really interesting. Men are from Mars. Well, where are women from? I guess women are from Venus because Venus is the god of love. And he got this crazy idea. Well, what happens if I change the title of my book? Because it's only selling a few thousand copies. It's not, you know, it's for all the work I put into it. So what if I change the title of the book, The Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus? And I'll go through the book and I'll leave the same book, but I'll put references to Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus throughout this throughout the book just so it connects with the title and the rest as i say is history you wouldn't believe what happened almost overnight he sold half a million copies then a million copies then two million then five million he so far sold 50 million copies of men are from mars women are from venus so he went from 2000 to 50 50 million i mean like what that's unreal yeah it's just it's amazing it's just because he changed the title 
And so I, I went like, so I took the book home and I'm going to put it in my, my uh, passion box. And I thought, wait a second. I mean, this is so profound that he's able to take, to change the title. And just because he changed the title, then suddenly his sales exploded like crazy. And so I went through the my passion box. And I started laying it out on my bed. Of course, I laid out, I don't know if I made my bed. So I had to do my blanket, you know, my my uh, bedspread so it was uh, flat. But I, I took everything that was on, on the uh, passion box and I put it out in piles on my bed. And mm -hmm. I wanted to see like what goes together, okay? So uh, let's use a metaphor or, uh, you know, like the, the uh, metaphor Mars from Venus is a metaphor, okay? Mm -hmm. So, or analogy. So what else is like that? And I went like, wow, it's um, uh, Shark Tank, the TV show Shark Tank. Mm -hmm. It's not like a tank, a tank full of sharks. I mean, it feels like it if you're on the show, but, you know, but it's not a tank full of sharks. Yeah. But if they called it the Investors Club, you think as many people would be passionate about it as and watch it as Shark Tank? I don't think so, no. because there's something about Shark Tank that triggers different parts of the brain. And it's cool and it's fun. Um, and I was reading about um, 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 Rocky Road ice cream. It isn't like you open up and you get rocks, you know, there's no rocks in Rocky Road ice cream. It's nuts and, and marshmallows and chocolate ice cream. But for Dryer's ice cream, it took a struggling company and suddenly they took off like gangbusters. And they took off for three reasons. One is because it's an analogy or metaphor, Rocky Road. It's not really a Rocky Road. The second is because it's Rocky Road uses alliteration, which is a repeating sound, Rocky Road. And I started researching and I realized like, wow, look at all the massively successful brands that use alliteration, Coca-Cola, Best Buy, Bed Bath & Beyond, TikTok, you know, um, PayPal. I mean, is it a coincidence that these guys use uh, and have become multi-billion dollar companies using alliteration? No, I mean, it's amazing. Then they also use humor and humor is really powerful. It, tr it triggers something that's called oxytocin. Our brain, if we get really pissed off or scared, then we get um, uh, cortisol starts going through our bloodstream. It, it, tr it gets triggered by our brain. Mm -hmm. Cortisol is like the fight or flight drug. Basically, it goes through our brain. And But cortisol, as I did research in this, and I discovered that cortisol actually stays in your bloodstream for up to 36 hours. And it, it, it turns off decision-making. So if somebody is really pissed and you say, hey, do you want to check out my book? Or you want to check out my podcast or something? They go, you know, their brain right away is going, no, I'm not interested. And they're much more resistant to, um, you know, to anything you're proposing just about. OK, doesn't mean they won't do it, but it's going to be harder to sell them unless you tell them a joke. OK, I'm very bad at jokes. I've got <laughs> so many jokes. Um, I, I tell jokes because I do workshops for a U.S. Small Business Administration. I'll have two and three hundred people. And I'll tell everybody I'm really terrible at jokes. And they and people come up to me at a break and say, "We got a joke. You can, you can't fail on this one." And I go out and I'll, I'll after the break I'll tell the joke, and then they start correcting me. You know, no, you don't say that. Which I told you, but anyway, people laugh anyway. I have this joke. I told them, I said, uh, "So the maintenance man is in a maintenance closet." hiding in the maintenance closet whenever people come up to the closet he opens the door and screams supplies <laughs> you know supplies maintenance closet anyway <laughs> but i was working with this company and we we're doing a turnaround it was a martial arts equipment company and you know when you're doing a turnaround like if they're they're usually in trouble and people are afraid for their jobs and they're afraid for the, the owner's afraid for the business and all that stuff and so when you're afraid there's a lot of cortisol going through your body and then you tend to be, not be as creative as you are normally so I would tell them jokes all the time. So I told them this one, this joke. And when I would go around to the offices, I was with them for about a year. 
uh, helping them. And I'd go around to somebody's office and I'd like open their door and just say, hey, how's it going? And they go, supplies. And you can see on their face, they had were, you know, all stern and everything because they're doing something. And they see me, they go, hey, supplies. You know, it was just, it was annoying a little bit, but it went on, but it was fun because you'd suddenly see their body language change and they go like, hey, you know, like I'm, you know, I'm worried because this product didn't go out on time or whatever else. Oh, there's Bond. Hey, supplies. You know, and it's just, it, it's just, it triggers uh, uh, oxytocin that just you know goes through the bloodstream. It doesn't stay as long as cortisol, but what it does is it waters it down. And so we had a training in a behavioral management company, and we would I trained all my facilitators that we have to start with a joke or something fascinating because if you didn't if you did that, then it made people more receptive. And so Rocky Road Ice Cream, you know, was actually launched during the Great Depression. And the Great Depression, you know, people were starving to death and all that stuff. So they called. They called the times a rocky road. We're all on a rocky road. So the concept was, since we're on a rocky road anyway, you might as well have rocky road ice cream. <laughs> and people kind of laughed at it, but it was that humor combined with uh, the alliteration, the repeating sound, and the metaphor, that rocky road, that just helped it explode like crazy. And so there, there, so I, I started discovering all these different tools as I went through the different things that were out there. And one of them is rhyme. Um, and I, like I was saying, um, you know, I remember um, um, Jack and Joe went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I remember that even though I heard like six over 60 years ago, because I'm old. So we tend to, we don't tend to remember a lot of things. Okay. But that one I remembered. And um, so I, I, I remember when we were young, we would have, um, we were taught and we taught little kids. For you know, uh, head and shoulders, knees and toes, eyes, ears, mouth and nose. So if you're so when Procter and Gamble was launching uh, a dandruff shampoo, they thought everybody's got it in their brain anyway, stuck in their brain, head and shoulders. Why don't we call it head and shoulders? And it be it helped it become really successful because it triggered something in the brain that was already there. Uh, if you talk about rhyme, uh, O.J. Simpson, the O.J. Simpson trial. O.J. Simpson was going to be found guilty because there was a ton of evidence. Uh, against uh, you know showing that he killed his uh, wife and her boyfriend or supposed yeah. boyfriend. If it doesn't quit, if, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Exactly. If the gloves don't fit, you must acquit. That's you see, you even remember it. If the gloves don't fit, you must acquit. Now most lawyers would have said, um, if the glove doesn't fit my 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 client, and you have to let my client go free or something like that. But he went no. Uh, OJ was pretending that gloves didn't fit him, and he kept repeating as he said to them, "If the glove don't fit, you must acquit." And I remember two of the jurors saying after the trial you know they were being interviewed and they said with well, so much evidence against him how come you let him go and one of the two said while well, the other one was nodding her head in agreement well we knew if the gloves don't fit you must acquit the gloves didn't fit so we had to acquit i mean it, it's it's so powerful these brain glue tools are so powerful they're natural tools that it can actually get a guy off from a murder <laughs> from a murder trial i mean that's how powerful this is they had um so then they have um Chiasmus, which is so rhyme is A B A B. You know, it's the kind of what rhymes. Chiasmus mm -hmm. um, is A B B A. So I'll give you some examples of chiasmus. Okay, chiasmus is winners never quit, and winners never, never win. Okay, uh, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. The yeah. Tough get going. <laughs> See how it flips. I'm, I remember when I was young, uh, we had uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash had. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. You know. My wife hated that song. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but uh, 
I love that. That was great. Um, but you know, so chiasmus <laughs> works really well. So I I grew up, you know, and a civil rights activist and all that stuff. And so I remember John F. Kennedy, President John F. Kennedy said, uh, "Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country." He had another one. He loved chiasmus, uh, and because chiasmus sticks to the brain, it's just when you hear it, it's more powerful than if you just say, you know, what you're trying to say. Uh, he said, uh, mankind must put an end to war or war will put an end to mankind. Hopefully we're not going to experience that, by the way. Um, and so Malcolm X, a uh, black civil rights activist, he was just amazing. Malcolm X said, we didn't land on Plymouth Rock. The rock landed on us. You know, and it's pretty powerful. And so instead of saying, hey, you have no idea what we've gone through. It's more powerful if you say we didn't land on Plymouth Rock. The rock landed on us. He also said. Uh, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And they're profound. You know, suddenly you ever think of some of the most profound statements that you have actually fit into some of these categories, because a lot of these people kind of knew, hey, I, I, I don't want to just say it straight out. I want to say it in a way that really, rough, you know, connects with people. Mm -hmm. Mae West was awesome. Mae West was like in the early time of the movie industry and all that stuff. She actually got, it's funny, she created a play, a Broadway play called Sex. And uh, there were things inside it, I don't know, that the cops didn't like and everything back then. And so they said, you know, you have to watch her, we'll arrest you. She said, oh, can, please, can you arrest me? <laughs> she wanted to be arrested what, because she can get more publicity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, she was amazing. But she had these, um, she had jokes that she came up that were were uh, um, <laughs> chiasmus related. She said, um, um, let's see, women like a man with a past, but they prefer a man with a present. Where's your present, honey? She said, good girls go to heaven, bad girls go everywhere. You know? <laughs> like, okay. The comedians love uh, uh, chiasmus and a lot of the brain glue, glue tools, even if they don't call it brain glue, but it's, they use similar tools. They have, I'd rather have, a, so chiasmus, okay, to flip. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy, okay? <laughs> Which I think is pretty funny. Um, so yeah, just brain glue is powerful because what happens is, you say, if you know, we say something or we have a title for a book or a podcast, whatever else it is, uh, or just something we're trying to communicate. And if we just say it, people go, okay, and it goes in one ear and out the other. But if you say it using a tool that sticks in the brain, suddenly, whoa, you know, it, it, they remember it. And so, yeah. And one of the things I learned is um, that 90%, um, uh, there are two major studies. There's this guy, Gerald Zaltman, who was, uh, Harvard professor, business professor, and uh, this guy, Daniel Kahneman, who's a Nobel Prize winning psychologist, and they both separately discovered that, um, are you okay? Okay, sorry. That they no, discovered... my, my daughter ran in behind and said, uh, mutant. <laughs> okay, awesome. <laughs> Tell her a joke. <laughs> no, so um, they just, these guys discovered that over 90% of decision-making happens when you trigger the motion side of the brain that you need emotion. I mean, sometimes you still need logic, but if you can trigger emotion, it's much more powerful uh, and it actually triggers decision-making, you know, and emotion could be something simple, like they like you, you know, and they trust you, something like that. But, um, um, but yeah, so I, I had this mom who said, uh, wow, your brain glue stuff is really cool. Can you help me with my kids? So I said, we'll try, what is it? Well, first I have two, my, I have twins, and they're young and, and I want them, you know, I read them a story and they want me to read them another story, another story, and they never go to bed. So I said, well, let's come up with a, a rhyme. Um, I guess, uh, 
when the when the story's read, we go to bed. Oh, that sounds like a good one. Let's try that. So tell them when the story's read, we go to bed and have them repeat it. So we went, okay. So they said, hey, mommy, re yeah, we're ready. So he said, okay, but when the story's read, we go to bed. So repeat after me. When the story's read, they said, we go to bed. And then so she said, okay, let's try it. And then she read the story and he said, okay, mom, another one. No, when the story's read, went, okay, we go to bed. And she said, it worked. It worked on the kids. So she said, now you got to help me with my son. He's 14 years old. I said, okay. It's like, thanks. <laughs> you know, I, but anyway, said, okay, what? He said, well, he's, he's asking me tough questions. So he asked me why, you know, why do we have to follow so many rules in life? So I said, okay, so let's figure this out. First rules, what rhymes with rules? I guess fools rhymes with rules. So only fools don't follow rules. There's one. Okay. I said, well, let's make it even a bigger zinger. Let's add uh, an analogy or a metaphor. And so I sat down with her son, with her and her son. And I said, you mom, you said, you asked your mom, you know, why do we have to follow so many rules in life? And he said, yeah. I said, well, if you're thirsty, you can drink water out of the toilet, but why would you want to? All you think about it, only <laughs> fools don't follow rules. And he said, mm, that makes sense. Now, to getting a 14-year-old to say it makes sense, that's a miracle all by itself. <laughs> you escape fast because you'll never get it again. But just does it really make sense? You know, or did I just trigger things in his brain that made him go, no, oh, that makes sense. And so here are two pol political statements, okay? One is, um, um, let me see. Okay, you can't hug a child with nuclear arms. It's like, what? But it resonates. It's like people mm -hmm. go like, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's personal. You can't, you don't want to hurt, hurt children with nuclear, you know, warfare and all that stuff. So it triggers parts of the brain. Even, you know, whether you agree or disagree with it, it works. Here's another one. I don't totally agree with this, but, but it's powerful. And it's um, uh, the right to bear arms is almost as crazy as the right to arm bears. You know, and people hear that and go like, okay, hey, I, I, yeah, you know, or no, but it just, it triggers a part of the brain where people go like, okay, interesting, you know? So yeah, it's kind of fun. And there's, a, and so there's, um, there's something that's called redintegration, which is the brain's need for completion. Like my mm -hmm. wife is sitting and watching a TV show and I went into the room and I said, hey, is that any good? She said, no, it's stupid. So why are you watching it? Well, I want to see how it turns out. You know, you created a problem and you got to watch it to the end to see how it turns out. So re related to reintegration, what are the most power? What's the most powerful tool of human interaction that exists? I'm using it now, aren't I? Can you tell what I'm doing? What am I doing? I'm asking questions, aren't I? Questions are a powerful tool of reintegration, the brain's need for completion. So if you ask a question, people have to answer it, don't they? You know, it's just, so that's why in selling and marketing, questions are really, really powerful. I have somebody, this, whether you agree or don't agree with this, okay? Uh, whether you're religious or not religious, it doesn't matter. But I heard this thing that somebody said, which I thought was really powerful. And it got me focused on, you know, many of the questions that you can create for people who are trying to market their products and services. And it's, uh, what do you say to an atheist? Do you hope you're wrong? You know, do you hope that life has no purpose? You're a freak of nature. You're going to live through a life which has no purpose. And when you die, you turn to dust. And that's the end of it. Or do you at least hope that there was something before this, that you're going to go through life. And then after life, you have something else that go. You're going to be able to take stuff you learn and go on from that. You know, and it's just that for me, it was like, huh, that's interesting. It's more interesting than, you know, just telling me you're an idiot. What do you mean you don't believe? Whatever, you know, I mean, people are, are used to fighting instead of engaging and brain glue and emotional selling 
teaches you that you want to engage their mind instead of re repel their mind. Hmm. You want to help people understand, like, let's get into a conversation about it. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but let's at least chat about it. And it opens their mind instead of, you know, a wall coming up. Because often you're talking to somebody and you don't realize you say something and a wall goes up and they don't want to, they don't, you know, they nod your head. I, my wife all the time, I'll talk and she'll go, <laughs> man, it looks like she's listening. And I'll say, you didn't even hear what I said. Yeah, yeah, I did. It's okay, tell me what I just said. Uh... You know, wives and spouses will do it all the time. Mostly <laughs> wives, I will say that, but our girlfriends. <laughs> but um, what we want to do is we want to wake up the emotional side of the brain. In fact, there's a tool that's called um, Simple Reflexive Questions. And I learned this and it blew my mind. It changed my life because what you do is instead of making statements, end statements with a phrase like, isn't it, doesn't it, shouldn't it, don't you agree? And I'll talk to an audience of, you know, like three or 500 people. And I'll say, no, 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 does that make sense? And I'll look around the audience. I just instinctively will. And if I see people going like, yeah. You know, if you say something to somebody, you say, hey, what is this? Does that make sense? And they go, yeah. Does that mean it makes sense or it doesn't make sense to them? You know? It's ambiguous, yeah. Yeah, probably. And so, and when we're talking, what? so if we're, if we're going through a presentation and we're talking to somebody, this is a common problem that happens is, they come up with an objection or something they don't agree with, but they don't share it with you right away. And so the longer you go without addressing the objection that they have, the more it becomes a wall that gets stronger and stronger to the point that they might not even remember why they rejected you, but they rejected you. And so when you say, okay, so you're ready to go ahead, they go, eh, let me think about it. And the reason is because you didn't address the objection when it came up. So the long, more time, that happens after they give you the objection. So I'm talking to them. I say, oh yeah, and you could do this with yourself, you know, with your your people in your company and all that stuff. Because I get this a lot, and and I get, I see a look on their face, and they, I say, does that make sense? And they go, yeah, I guess. And I'll say, well, what's up? Well, what doesn't make sense for you? And they go, no, no, it's fine. Go on. And I said, no, 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 it sounds like something didn't make sense for you. He said, well, I'm not sure it would apply to ours. We're so overwhelmed anyway that I'm not sure we'd be able to do it ourselves. So now I can address the question, the issue. And a psychologist discovered this. You don't have to answer an objection. I mean, it's good if you can, but you don't have to answer an objection. Just the fact that they recognize that you listened, you heard them, will, will often be enough for them to accept it, accept hmm. what you're saying. It's really, really powerful. So these brain tools are, are just like, to me, it's like it blows the mind. Also with my kids, I'll talk to my kids. I've got young kids. I'm not actually not young anymore. My son's 41. So did I say young? What I meant was I'm old. So anyway, but, um, um, you know, I'll talk to them. Certainly my daughters. I, I wrote a book before this called The Secret Life of Fathers. I started interviewing fathers and daughters because I was trying to figure out how to be a, have a better relationship with my daughter. And as guys, guys tend to love problem solving. We tend to be really good at it. We love problem solving. And I've been a consultant for much of my life you know, or a trainer, but it's still a consulting. And I didn't realize my, our middle daughter has the initials LA, Los Angeles. Um, when she was 22, she started, I, st I heard about a story that happened to her when she was young. It was really a sad story, actually. Actually, I'll tell you the story, okay? And it was, uh, she, we lived in Ojai, California, and our, our fence, we had a fence that was like six foot high, and it was, on the other side of the fence was the baseball diamond for the, for the community. And all it was like a baseball game was going on. It was dusk and just light coming on over the over the top. And uh, 
my son and my oldest daughter had their gate open so they could watch the baseball game. And they called into Lauren, our middle daughter, and said, Lauren, Lauren, come on, you have to see this. And Lauren goes, no. She says, yeah, yeah, you got to see this. Says, no, I just took a shower. She says, don't worry about it. Come out here. You got to take a look at this. So Lauren says, okay. And she goes out with a towel on and she goes up to the fence and looks through the fence to see what it was. <laughs> I can't believe they did this. They ripped the towel off oh, no. her, shoved her naked onto the baseball field and closed the gate. Oh. Okay. <laughs> And she turns around and she's knocking, guys, guys, let me back in. And they wouldn't let her back in. So she had to walk around the baseball diamond so everybody could see her, every guy in, in, the, in the whole neighborhood could see her naked. She was six years old and walk around to the front. And so I heard this when she was 22 years old. I heard that they did this to her when she was six years old. And it was just terrible. And I started to realize, like, you know, you grew up and you were the quiet one and I never got to know who you are. I, I mean, I knew you, but I was you know, struggling with my business, trying to make it successful and I never got to know you. And one of the things that came out with my interaction with her was whenever she would say something, I would also offer advice instead of just shutting up and listening, hmm. you know? And so, and I'd never realized this until I started doing the father daughter project and going through this. And I realized that, when I say that, when you say that to a girl, you know, you know, you, you're always every time they say something, you're going to come up with an answer. Oh, you solve that by doing this. You're basically saying you're stupid and daddy's smart. So daddy's going to tell you how to solve this instead of saying, letting them solve it and just listening. You know, I mean, and John Gray, who did Men from Mars, Women from Venus, talks a lot about this. The fact that we have a problem because we love solving problems. So as soon as, uh, you know, our girlfriend or our wife tells us something and it, uh, she's exposing a problem. We go, oh, wait, wait, you don't have to finish it. I'll tell you how to solve it. We might not interrupt her, but we're like, I got that. I know how to solve this, you know? I mean, it's not quite that way, but it's basically we're, that's why we, we want to interrupt yeah. people to tell them, don't, don't say anymore. I got the answer. And what happens is, especially with girls, is, you know, we're missing the opportunity. For it's so much easier if they just let us. <laughs> I know, exactly. Your life would be so easy. <laughs> I had this friend where he said, I'd come home from work and my wife, you know, was there, uh, whether she, I forget she was working or not, but, and uh, he would say, so I want to watch a, a football game. You know, I know football game's on right now, but today we recorded, but back then he didn't. And so he said, I'd sit, I'd sit on the couch and said, tell me about your day. And I would just sit there for, force myself to sit there for at least 20 minutes, just listening. And all of us went, wow, really? You sat there for 20 minutes, you didn't turn on the game, you know? <laughs> but it's just, you know, it's wired into us. Like, yeah, come on, let's go, let's go. <laughs> it, it, there, is, there is a difference. But anyway, so, uh, and so yeah, brain, it's amazing for, for me, brain glue is so powerful. I have one more, I wanna tell you a story about um, Marilyn Monroe, because this is fascinating about brain glue too. So brain glue, we have redintegration, which is a brain's need for completion. Okay, and we we know how certain things are going to be. So there's a joke. So um, um, as asymmetry is where you take a twist. You you take something that people are expecting and you twist it so it's a little different. Okay, mm -hmm. or it's not balanced or it's not symmetrical. So um, there's a joke that says, "Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, congratulations." <laughs> Okay. Anyone who knows, you know, most of us are prepared for fool me twice, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Right. So that, that twist at the end, like, okay, I got it. So asymmetry works visually too. We like symmetry in the mm -hmm. way we look. So Marilyn Monroe, her name was Norma Jean, and she changed her name to, her first name was changed. I forget it was her manager or something, changed it to Marilyn. And Monroe was, I think, her stepfather. So Marilyn Monroe. So Marilyn Monroe uses, um, 
um, um, you know, the, the repeating sound, okay? Marilyn Monroe. But, uh, so she changed her name. Then uh, she loved um, Jean Harlow, who was a famous actress in the early time of the, the cinema. And uh, Jean Harlow had platinum blonde hair. So what she did was she said, I have to have my hair the same color as, as uh, Jean Harlow. And so she went to the actual hairdresser that worked on Jean Harlow's hair and made her hair exactly the same color. Okay, so now she's on her way to becoming really famous. But she wasn't totally famous. And she one day she was looking at Jean Harlow photographs and she realized Jean Harlow had a beauty mark on her cheek mm. sometimes. And sometimes it was on her chin. <laughs> And she went, wait a second. I bet she doesn't even have a beauty mark on her face. I bet she's just drawing it to bring attention to her face. And so Marilyn Monroe had a beauty mark on her left cheek. And she would cover it up with makeup. And she said, I think I'm doing this all wrong. And instead, she took her black like eyeliner or whatever. And she made it darker instead of lighter. And she became even more famous. And she realized, wow, the dot on my face is what, you know, makes people, you know, notice me. And there's a movie, I, I'm not sure which one, I think it was Some Like It Hot. In the publicity photographs, she covered up the, the beauty mark on her cheek and put it on her chin just to have fun with the audience, you know. And there are famous people like um, Cindy Crawford, who's a, a world, one of the world's top models or has been a supermodel. And Cindy Crawford, when she was young, she had a big beauty mark on her over her lip, which she still has, but she had a beauty mark on her lip. And she begged her mom to take her to the doctor and get it removed. And her mom didn't. And she said right now, she says, I am so glad my mom didn't have it removed because I believe my beauty mark on my chin is one reason, is a main, a major reason why I became a supermodel. I mean, whoever thinks of that, you know, you just want to have something that's, I mean, I'm not sure us guys are going to put a dot on our chin, our chin but you know, to get attention. But uh, I remember what made me think of it and I started researching it was um, a famous advertiser uh, named David Ogilvy, who was really famous in, you know, in, in I guess, the mm. early 20th century and all that stuff. Um, David Ogilvy did ads for Hathaway shirts. And normally, what do you, how do you do an ad for a, a guy in a sh with a shirt? It's a print ad. You have a picture of a guy wearing a shirt and dressed nice, probably cool looking guy and everything else. Well, that looks like everybody else's. So, okay, what did he do? He put an eye patch on the guy over one eye. You know, the guy wasn't a pirate, <laughs> but uh, he put an eye patch, <laughs> one eye patch on the guy's eye. And it just attracted so much attention to this that when you see picture, picture, picture oh, here's a guy with an eye patch. That's odd. It stops you for a second. You go like, whoa, <laughs> that's interesting. And even if it just stops for a second, it's like men are from Mars, women are from Venus. You know, it stops you for a second. I remember when I first saw the book in a bookstore, I'm looking through it. I go, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Oh. Oh, that's odd. What's that? And I picked it up. That's getting you in the process of buying mm -hmm. it. Not everybody will buy it, but you know, you get people to pick it up, you have a greater chance that they're going to buy it. So anyway, sorry, I'm blabbing away, but I love brain yeah. glue, as you can tell. <laughs> that's awesome. So does brain glue, is it predominantly for things in print or like vocal communication? Or is it just kind of a paradigm that spans any sort of method of communication or transference of information? All three, because we we know that civil rights activists use it. Presidents use it just as a as a statement, you know, just to to make their point resonate. We know that it works for marketing. So if you're trying to sell something and you don't use brain glue, you're you know, if you don't even at least examine brain glue, I think you're crazy because, you know, 
John Gray took his book from twenty from two thousand copies to fifty million copies. If you don't think that's worth checking out, yeah, I had this, uh, but so it it works for those things. I have an I have some examples of companies I started applying it to that took off like crazy. I have this construction company. I have no experience with construction, but in they took ten years these three partners and they reached two million in sales in one year. I took them to ten million and they went to thirty two million two years later just by applying brain glue. I'll tell you how they did it. Um, um, I, I took a whiteboard and uh, uh, said, tell me all the types of clients you have, the types of clients. And we went through, created a shopping list of all these different types of clients. I said, okay, great. They're a construction company. I said, um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a rule. We're gonna play a game. You have to choose only one type of client that you're gonna go after. And this is, you're not gonna go after anybody else as a, as a, a construction company. You're just gonna focus on this one type of client. Who would it be? And it took a little bit, a few minutes for them to come up with it. But they said, you know, fire restoration for insurance companies. We know we've done it for a couple of two insurance companies now where they had one of their clients had a fire. And so we want to, you know, we'd like to do fire restoration for insurance companies as we think we've got certain tricks we can do. And, you know, if the frame isn't if the frame is burned too much, you have to destroy the whole building. If it's not, you can fix the building and, and all that stuff, you know. And they said, we'd like to focus on fire restoration for insurance companies. I said, okay. I had to ask them what it was because I had no idea what that is. Now I do. And I said, okay. So we came up with the name fire extinguisher. You're the fire extinguisher. We had the name FireX. You look us up, FireX, okay, dot com. It said, we're the fire extinguisher for you guys. So every time you have a client that has a fire, call us because we're your fire extinguisher. And it's just that funky little thing stuck to the brain and their sales went from two to 10 million in one year. After 10 years in business, they got to two and I took them to 10 in one year and then 32 million two years later. And it's all because they focus on it. So for business, if you're in business or if you're selling a book or whatever else, you know, and at least consider brain glue. That's what I say, you know, and then definitely in life too. If you're trying to convince your kid <laughs> To go to bed, it can it could help you in that way too. That's awesome. Well, James, I appreciate it. We're running out of time here. Is there anything that you want to leave the audience with, or that you wanted to say that you that you didn't get a chance to? Um, no, just remember how you say it often can be more important than what you say, and that's why if you say it with humor, uh, you know, choose the right words and all that stuff, it can have a greater impact on what you're trying to say. And I will say also, if you guys want to check out my book. I'm not trying to sell my book, but I think you'll enjoy at least pieces of it. You can actually go to braingluebook.com. It'll take you to Amazon. And then on Amazon, I've got an, um, a really funky story in the because there's an audio book for it also. We have this guy, Johnny Unitas, who did our narration. I love this guy. He's awesome. And he's hilarious. And um, he has the same name as a famous football player. So anyway, but Johnny Unitas is a football player. Yeah. But anyway, but if you go to braingluebook.com and check out the story on the uh, audio book, I think you guys will get a good laugh out of it. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Well, James, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And thank you, Steve. Yeah, and everyone else, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Subject Change. Please like, subscribe, leave a review of our podcast. And if you have any questions, if there's a business you would like to see featured on our podcast or a niche or something you want to learn about, drop us a message or an email and let us know. Be happy to, to interview someone and answer those questions. Thanks again for listening.